Welcome to Fandom Power. Hey guys, welcome back to Order 66. I'm your host, Wes, and today joining me in studio, producer extraordinaire Andrew Daw. Hello. And out in Halifax, our regular co host and super friend of the show, Hank McLaughlin. Dun, da, da, da. Welcome back, gentlemen. So it's uh, week three, even though we had a huge hiatus. <laughs> <laughs> part three yes part three of our review series this time it's uh, season seven episode 11 because i'm much more prepared this week it's called shattered it has a runtime of 26 minutes this one as the entire season is written by dave filoni and it's directed by saul ruiz now saul ruiz his name has come up before we didn't really dive in sort of on his stuff but just a couple of notes on him he's directed multiple episodes of uh, clone wars rebels star wars resistance and oddly enough or interestingly enough he was a cinematic animator on uh, the force unleashed video game oh very cool he goes way back so no stranger to uh cinematic action uh in the star wars universe and that certainly is going to uh, shine through on this episode. I feel like we need to touch on the title just for a brief second. Yeah. What, Shattered. what Shattered actually means here. And like some of the titles of the Mandalorian episodes, this one has got so many nuanced meanings. Everything that Ahsoka believes in is shattered. Everything yeah. that Rex believes in is shattered. Everything that Anakin believes in is shattered. Yeah. I think the galaxy the at large is shattered. Is shattered. Yeah. And I think the, the only characters that aren't, and I can't say gravely affected because they, they definitely are, but the, the characters that are on the inside, the no, like the the characters like certainly Palpatine and Maul are the yeah. characters that are immune to the shards of the shatter, if you will. Yeah. That makes yeah, sense. Yeah. yeah. It does it's, to me. It's an excellent title. So something I noticed, um, not related to the title, but um, usually in these, these episodes, I'll do the um, official synopsis, but... Um, Today, on this one, when I was doing my research, I was flipping back and forth between the Disney Plus uh, streaming app, and I was kind of flipping back and forth to Wikipedia, or sorry, the Wikipedia, to get sort of the uh, some finer details that I wanted to make sure we touched on. And I, and I discovered something that I was not aware of previously. Um, season 7, it debuted uh, when? Earlier 2020? I believe. I don't so. remember when it started. So here's the thing. There's the synopsis on Disney Plus, and it's different from the official synopsis on the Wikipedia. Oh. So I'm going to read them both. I mean, they both say essentially the same thing, but just as a point of interest, I thought that's kind of neat. So the uh, the official one from uh, the Wikipedia, it, it says, Maul is captured and the Siege of Mandalore is won, but evil lurks elsewhere and the galaxy will never be the same. Meanwhile, the Disney Plus episode description says, While Ahsoka returns Maul to the Jedi on Coruscant, Order 66 is declared. It's kind of mm. flavory different, I guess. They sort of like illustrate different parts. They do. They really, they, they punch on different 
different levels. Something interesting there about the, the Siege of Mandalore line, because it's not really it's not really cut and dry that they won that. Uh, like like they routed them in that moment. But yeah. We we sort of get the idea from the Mandalorian that that siege went on for decades. Like like this episode for me, I, and I was going into it. I was thinking about that because of sort of what's uh, laid out for us in later episodes of Rebels and now the Mandalorian, where Bo-Katan mm. has been de- presumably deposed and is now still fighting for control of her world. We know something bad has happened. We haven't really sort of hit on the head what. We know that Gar Saxon is going to be elevated to a governorship at some point. Mm-hmm. But this episode, watching it, I, I was left with the... When they take Maul off world, I was left with the impression that that's what was going to happen. She was going to just sort of slide into the leadership role. You see the clones kind of attending all of the uh, the wounded civilians. And it kind of lends itself to what she said in the last episode that the you know the people will not tolerate a prolonged siege and neither will I. Well, it wasn't very prolonged. It was like 24 hours later, you know, like short short period of time and oh, it's over. Perhaps it's multiple sieges of Mandalore cuz this, this is this it. Doesn't, this doesn't seem to be the one that Moff Gideon was in charge of, certainly. No, no, exactly. <laughs> right? Or yeah, or yeah. even the event the event with Sabine's weapon from Rebels. And that could be why right. Disney rewrote that synopsis. That's entirely possible, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because if this wasn't the siege, this was just a siege. A siege, yeah. And so it, that leads me into a question sort of organically, and I don't know if it's well-placed in, the, in the, the narrative of this episode, but my question is, yeah, with Maul in shackles and in the custody of the Jedi Order ostensibly, right. where is the Darksaber at this point? And does Bo Katan have it? Wow. I don't know where the Darksaber is. And it's a huge it's actually a huge they've elevated it to this status within the within the lore that it's a huge plot point now to know at this moment where that Darksaber is. Because how does that not end up in Palpatine's possession? Like so Well, he clearly doesn't have it on him when they put him in the prison cell. No. And no. if you equate him to a dragon, you know he's got a like a, a horde somewhere horde in the in the tunnels but underneath it's a, Mandalore. It, and it's quite much. It's that simple in Rebels when it it comes out because it's like, oh, we found it in his in his stuff. You, That's true. You That's just a good found point. it in his that line stuff. Is a good point, actually. Yeah, yeah, we found it among his his uh, belongings. That's right. a good point. But <laughs> it doesn't change the fact that where did it go? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's like it was a, almost a minor plot point that they've just, because we found it as fans, that's the coolest thing ever. Yeah. They've elevated it to this oh boy mighty Excalibur-style weapon. Wow, like there's really, a whole lot to uh, dig in on that. I wish I had the answers for you. Well, really, yeah, it's just yeah. sitting on his nightstand right now. That's right, eh? Like, some point, someone's going to come along and like, oh, who was in this room? Oh, shit. <laughs> and I don't know if you had a quick check at that comic i sent you from that fan that i started into it but then i got distracted because i was doing some other business it's it's very long he did seven i mean like wow congratulations uh he did seven issues but there is stuff from colin trevorrow's that is colin Uh, trevorrow's yeah yeah and there's a part where ray fights one of the knights of ren and the knights of that knight of ren he's named i can't recall his name but he wields the dark saber oh wow duel that's really cool Yeah, <laughs> so that's super cool. Yeah, super cool. 
So I'm going to read it, actually get the story, the plot points, because I, I kind of just glanced over it. But uh, so they've, you know. I read the first, uh, I think I read the first three pages and I kind of went, oh, I like this. I want to come back to yes. it. I got through the first yeah. issue. But... Did you? Yeah. I did six or seven last night. Oh, wow. Uh, but it's, I mean, you know, it's fairly good. It's, I, I, I quite enjoy it. Um, but there's really neat things in there. Like that, just the Darksaber thing really knocked my socks off. So here, here's the thing. Before we get going with the episode, let's just, let's agree that between now and the next episode of our show, we go back and see what's there in the animation to give us any clues as to where it might be right now. That'd be great, actually. Yeah, do a little sleuthing. Yeah, maybe we can come back to that next week. And sure. if and yeah. if not, maybe we'll um, maybe there's some literature out there that we've missed. Who knows? It's true. It's true. I did do a lot of research on the dark saber when it yeah. first popped up. When it's the second it popped up in the Mandalorian, I was like, oh, and I started trying to trace it back, and that's where we got that it's ancestral, yeah, almost father to son thing before it became a combat thing. Right. Right. But yeah, there is there's a gray area, and I don't know if it. I, I hardly think that it got by the writers. Yeah. And so, but perhaps, not being the greatest, you know, it, it might even undermine the plot here, which is why we discussed that he didn't use it in the duel with us. No, son. no, of course not. Um, and so, just having, you know, we found it in his things is probably sufficient. <laughs> we just want more. Just like finding the Skywalker saber in a chest at the bottom of Maz Kanata's castle. With no explanation. Yes. <laughs> All right, so let's get on with the episode then. Do it. So our opening shot presumably takes place in the morning hours of the same day that Maul is uh, captured. As we see the, uh, the LAAT come in for a landing. And uh, there's a shot of some uh, 332nd clones and uh, Mandalorian loyalists rounding up sort of the remaining Maldalorian troops. We have Bo-Katan take a pass as she's walking down the sort of the street, passes Gar Saxon, who like sneers kind of at her. Mm-hmm. So once the, uh, the the gunship kind of lands and the doors open and you see there, it's clearly it's Ahsoka and Maul, still, still tied up in the cables that we saw in the previous episode. Which that brings me to my first point, just to talk about, I want to talk about Gar Saxon for a second, right? Here's the, that thing, right? Like that, the look, I know we talked last week about the animation can sometimes be limiting in terms of like expression. Um, whereas this episode, I found it to be completely the opposite and they were like very, very expressive and very emotive. And certainly the look that Gar Saxon gives Bo on the way by, to me, I kind of thought of it as like pure revulsion. You know, he's really, really pissed. <laughs> <laughs> they super peaked with their animation in this season for sure like and that's one of my favorite things about it uh story and um, everything else that's wonderful about it aside is that every season had this like quantum leap yeah in terms quality. of uh, quality yeah and i uh, just like just really hoping resistance might be a the love child or something like that uh different target audience though yeah i get it yeah yeah so Talking about Gar Saxon for a minute, we already just touched on uh, earlier that uh, we know he's going to be elevated to a governor's position within the Empire. And uh, again, I guess my question is, when did that happen? Because as I'm sort of doing my research, and I wanted to make sure that I I understood, because I knew that he plays later, we see him in Rebels, 
And it's like, oh, yeah, you're just you're the governor of Mandalore. But his official description, his canonical description, describes him as an emperor's hand. Did you guys know that? I did not. Neither did I. I did not know that. So for anybody who's not familiar with the emperor's hands, emperor's hands were made sort of famous in the legends. Uh, They were sort of these secret secret agents that uh, reported directly to the emperor that kind of were his private assassination corps. Essentially, that's what they were. And the canonical description doesn't really divert from that. Where's that canon? Is that on what? what That's on the Wikipedia now. I mean, it is Wikipedia, so I mean, you can take it with a big grain of, you know, crate sea salt, but. Uh... Yeah, nicely done. <laughs> uh, you and I can both edit that website. I mean, it well, is fact check, but um, that's very interesting. I'm going to check that out. Yeah, Emperor's um, Hand, Gar Saxon. Because if that's, if that just the phrase even rears its head. Doesn't it? In anything. Um, in a visual medium, if we see it on a an episode of the Mandalorian or in yeah. Ahsoka Tano, that phrase pops up. We're we're going to get Mara Jade. Presumably, I I would think so. I mean, if there is a fan favorite, that's a natural conclusion to that that care that that role, if you will. If you're going to introduce the Emperor's hands, who better to to do it than through the Mara Jade character, who is like uber famous in Legends. And I thought maybe that that's what the Inquisitors were filling that role during Rebels and then in some of the like the Fallen Order video game. But then I remembered like that the, the Inquisitoris from the from the, the D6. Yeah. Game. Yeah. And so maybe it's a hybrid of that. But no, just just knowing that that's a, a canon possibility. Yeah. Really, really opens up some avenues to bring some Legends characters in that like that we would want, you know. It says to me that somebody had to put some forethought into that character before you would slap that title on them because, like you say, Emperor's Hand carries a connotation and a, and a status that goes with it that's like, oh, like it's Boba Fett level what? Yes, yes. Yeah, no, that's, that's uh, yeah, <laughs> that's a big one. Yeah, so... I'm really curious to know if there's more on that. Maybe that's another research point for all of us. Maybe we can come back to next week. So you can see if he's got control of Mandalore, Gar Saxon at the yep. time, yep. Of the Imperial sort of the the reckoning or the where they're consolidating the their power. new order. Right. Um, and if he's got control of Mandalore, ostensibly he has control of all the neutral systems as well. Perhaps that's where the Darksaber is at this point. Does the coalition um, of independence? Oh, sorry, I guess that's not the right word. Does the independent system thing survive the 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 war? Like, do they maintain that alliance with Mandalore? They don't being... really. They don't really talk about the third faction at all. Except no, for in the context that it exists. Yeah, but I would assume that. I mean, sort of much the way World War Two planned out, like that that the neutral countries essentially stayed neutral. I guess what I'm um, saying is, you know. Does, to me, the whole thing was framed under the leadership of Satine and, and her sort of level-headed, peaceable outlook. Yes. With that being gone, does that, you know, sort of suggest a dissolution of that alliance that everybody, you know, all those independent worlds are trying to maintain their independence, but they're not doing it as a, as a coalition anymore? 
well certainly any of the worlds that would rebel openly would be crushed and that's why we we started going to the dark i guess so yeah uh, but thinking now like if if he is in control of a coalition of worlds that are under sort of mandalorian's mandalore's protection and if that is a viable faction yeah if you will yeah, or yeah. like a ch- like a challenge yeah to the throne of the the empire if you will then could gar saxon not parlay those worlds and his world into a position within the emperor's cabinet like 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 a you know it's entirely like possible a governor or a or a hand or even you know you know what i mean because he's super crafty politically so this is but this is something that the legends kind of dug into particularly going back to the d6 role-playing game where they did an entire sector uh two sectors actually so and this actually there's precedence here right because in the in the uh some of the earliest earliest novels like pre pre eu pre timothy zahn like going back to the original han solo trilogy yep at star's end the Star's lost end, legacy yeah. and han solo's revenge those those books took place in the corporate sector and so when it came time to flesh out the corporate sector for the role playing game they kind of framed it in the sense that the corporate sector was allowed to maintain their neutrality and their self governance because they paid a lot of money to the imperial war machine yeah which falls right in line with uh sort of the dj's speech to finn from the last jedi doesn't it though yeah on canto bite or when they're leaving canto bite like you know like there is an uh, there is a bigger perspective and a sort of you know uh, there's light side, dark side, good guy, bad guy. Everybody yep. knows that. But there's this other perspective where money even drives a galaxy far, far away. Yeah. And then they did the same They did the same thing again when they introduced another sector of space called uh, the Tapani sector. That's right. So, you know, they, they had this level of self-governance. They, were, they had their own sort of policing and, uh, and whatnot. But it all kind of hinged on that that could come crumbling down at any second if they, you know, did not essentially pay up. And, you know, other things like hut space, which isn't necessarily um, canon either, but although Narshadar and a few of the other planets inside of him. Nalhada, Narshadar. But hut space has always been like its own sector as well. Uh, Like, you know, it's. The Empire has to deal with them. Yeah. We never see this army that the Huts have. No. The crime empires have. No, no, we don't really. But there's still like Darth Vader can phone up Boba Fett and request a guy, you know? Right. Like, right. Right. So there's some, there's, there's this either it's an uneasy alliance or that they just allow that to happen because it makes them money somehow. Well, let's bring it around full circle and tie it all together. The Beskar ingots in the Mandalorian are stamped with the Imperial signet. So is that is that Mandalore's payment for neutrality? Their contribution to Do you the know effort. what I mean? Yeah. It, for me, don't cancel me. But that always reminded <laughs> don't cancel me. But that reminded me of the way that the, the Nazis stole gold and then stamped it with their own. Oh yeah, I guess so, eh? Right. Please don't cancel me. No. <laughs> There's no canceling here. There might be accountability. Not you guys. (laughs) Don't turn us off. (laughs) But that's what that I would, you know, like a stolen loot, and we've like we brand, you know, we branded your cattle, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. But 
but but Gar Saxon is is underhanded as as F and and at the same time he wants to control Mandalore and wants to you know it, it's all self-serving like that all is self-serving to him that puts him in power that puts him in this central role it's it's not like for the betterment of his people it's just so that he can be at the top of the food chain or as as top as he can get so yeah handing over oodles and oodles and oodles of that could be at the same time but keeps him now thinking the, about it keeps him on the top of the, of the food chain in his world in his world yeah and then i was just just it just occurred to me now that rather than the siege of mandalore yeah in the mandalorian don't we refer to it as the purge just struck me now that that might be a different term and and, and again purge is used in the jedi yeah that's that's how i you know i always contextualize purges in the the jedi purge i think there may be a reference for purge in terms of like in relation to mandalore but i yeah so well they do say there's the incident that happens yeah that he does the this this um uh ambiguous thing whatever it is yeah 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 night of a thousand night of a thousand tears night of a thousand tears i think it's called yeah okay and if you pair that up with uh, Rogue One and them testing out lasers, well, maybe Gar Saxon gets away at some point post Clone Wars, and then strikes up a deal, says, you know, come in, make your example. I will be your in place leader and carry on. That's entirely possible too. I still think that that Death Star thing holds some weight. You know, it does, they, doesn't it? Single reactor ignition, my friends. We can glass a city. Yeah, and just know? testing Certainly along does. the way. Yeah, exactly. When we see. When we see parts of that planet in in Rebels, it's it's not like the planet we saw in Clone Wars. No, no, it isn't. Okay, well, going back to the episode, <laughs> <laughs> overlooking a lower uh, level, Bo-Katan and Ahsoka watch as uh, the clones and her loyalists tend to the injured civilians, and the two share a, a brief moment where Bo actually credits Ahsoka for doing what others could not uh, in capturing Maul. I thought this was a nice little uh, development piece for Bo here because she kind of goes off about how she wishes she was good at something other than war. And uh, Ahsoka's pretty receptive to that and kind of shoots back, you know, like gives her a little bit of encouragement, you know, your people need a new kind of leader. And then she kind of <laughs> drops right back into my sister already tried that. Yeah. Uh, I never understood her idealism. The moment is kind of fleeting, however, as uh, the conversation is broken by Rex, who tells them that he has the uh, the council waiting. Ahsoka, with an air of concern in her voice, asks about uh, Master Skywalker. Were you able to contact him? It's interesting that Rex is the one that breaks that conversation up, because the conversation between her and Bo-Katan is the exact same conversation that she's about to have with Rex on the bridge. Oh, I know. Isn't it, though? It, it, it's, she's in the middle of both of those sides. Yep. Obviously, she's the center point of the the episode, but she's the center point of the sentiment where Bo-Katan doesn't necessarily want to be a soldier, and then later on, yeah. Rex also doesn't necessarily want to be a soldier, but has to come to terms. We'll get to that in a minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really important, I think, that the way that this episode was written, that, that Rex is that one that interrupts that moment, and, and it leads to their moment. It's very, it's very nuanced. He's really the... I mean, as much as, you know, Ahsoka is a focal point to this whole arc, Rex really is at the heart of this episode, you know, and he is, he is the, the one shining beacon for all of clonedom, if I can say that. 
Do yeah, I mean, he's representative of everything in the series up till now. You watch him go beyond his programming. Yes, yeah, very much. much. He can, even though he's being programmed even beyond that. Yeah, he fights like an individual more than any clone we've ever seen. We've seen a lot of clones fight like individuals. It's one of the virtues of the show was uh, those character developments and how we had our Rexes and our Cody's and our Wolf's and our, you know, Fives and the Jesse's and Foxes and all of those named guys who were these shining examples of how something that was supposed to be this reliable, you know, uh, very predictable militarized force, as you say, grows beyond its programming and they they become something more. They become... You know, they're the they're the humanity of war, you know? Yeah, and isn't that ironic that they're they're ostensibly in the eyes of almost everybody involved except them and the Jedi. Yeah. They're not men. No, they're not. Uh I'm gonna touch on that a little bit later because there's a line where I'm like, Oh, wait a minute, is he talking about you know, a, a bigger a bigger concept or is he just talking about clones specifically? But we'll get to that. So Rex says that uh, actually he was at the meeting when uh, he left to come and get her. Uh, Bo says, uh, you know, you go on. I can handle things from here. And uh, the scene closes with Bo turning back towards that lower level. And there's a very clear narrowing of her eyes. And just like that, her moment of reflection is gone and it's right back to business as usual. That's right. So just let me ask you guys, did you guys pick up on that that facial expression bit from her in this moment where she's... She's very like wide, like I don't want to say doe-eyed, but for lack of a better word, she's kind of doe-eyed having that conversation with Ahsoka where they're kind of wistfully, you know, oh, I just wish I was better at this and that and the other thing. And then when she turns to look sort of back towards the refugees, we'll call them, she gets very narrow-eyed and it's almost like right back into her gruff exterior. Did you pick up on that? I did. It's sort of like... I mean, she has to be business when it comes to, you know, that's that's the deeper part of her character. Yeah. But I think that that, that listless, like the wistfulness maybe in that moment when yeah. she's saying goodbye, when she, you know. Yeah. I think the line is literally goodbye, Ahsoka Tano. She doesn't yeah, know. Yeah, it is. Right? And there's this, like she's privy to what Maul says too, if I'm not mistaken. So there's this sense of dread that, a few of these characters are privy to Rex is privy to it. Um, that is, it's almost like they're, they're a little secret. Like they, they know that quite possibly there's a plot to destroy the Jedi and it, it yeah. involves possibly a Jedi, a, a really powerful Jedi. Oh yeah. And it's assumed to be a lie, but, and then, and then there's, there's a funny thing about horrible, horrible times. And that's that you can almost feel dread coming from miles away. And it's not like you don't have to be a psychic. You don't have to be uh, well-educated. Like, the, you know, when something horrible is in the zeitgeist, people on the street feel it. Yeah. And so someone tuned to war, tuned to the way the shifts in battle, the shifts in the tides and, you know, is very astute like that. I think, I think in that moment, she's like, she's two people, right? She's, she's this, she has to be a leader. She, there, now there's a power vacuum and she's got to be that gruff, tough Mandalorian leader. I'll buy that. Cause I gotta tell you, I was really like, 
I really paused on that for a minute and I, I sat there in my chair thinking like, what's going through her head right now? Because she goes from this like completely open, receptive to completely closed and oh, like something's gone on here. And then I think about, you know, okay, when's the next time we see her? We don't see her again until Rebels. And in Rebels, right. she's still hard exterior. Urgh. And then we don't see her again until The Mandalorian. And only in The Mandalorian do we see, really, I, I would say between now and The Clone Wars and her entire arc throughout Rebels, there's virtually no personal growth for her character. She doesn't really, we don't see that until the Mandalorian when she's talking to Din Djarin and her, you know, like we said in our, our Fandalorian review series, her, her perfunctory, this is the way. This is the way. To Din Djarin was her way of saying, there's another way. And so perhaps, and I think I just thought of it while you said it in the moment. Yeah. Um, the line she delivers to Ahsoka right before she says goodbye is that, my people need another way of being, but my sister tried it and it didn't work. That's and so right. That that turning back to the the core of the Mandalorian teachers, that warrior yeah. cast in herself, the the way is, of Mandalore, still, right, is still rejecting a personal thing with her sister. So yeah. it's such a personal divide that for three years in their teenage life, Obi Wan didn't even know she had that had a sister. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's there's something. You know, we could probably go back and have a graphic novel about why they didn't connect. As, why they're as apart. People. Yeah. But I think that that probably her decision to want to stay as true to the Mandalorian code and as true to a warrior's code is influenced heavily by the fact that she didn't agree with her sister personally. Right. Her view on how Mandalore should be run, if you will. So that makes sense in that moment, too, that she would turn immediately having had that conversation saying that, no, my sister tried that and it didn't work. Yeah. Saying goodbye, that last little vestige of I'm being kind to a child essentially. And yeah. then yeah. now back to work. It's pretty interesting stuff. And I, I think we're going to get more like, there's no way that we're not going to get more on that character, but I hope that future appearances from her are able to tie that one up for me. Yeah. And it, you know, even if it's a little exposition, I'll be happy. Yeah, me too. Um, me too. It doesn't have to be a lot, but give me something. Just a little, throw me a bone here. Memory flashbacks yeah. in Mandalorian yeah, sure. season three. Yeah, they could be that. It could be that simple. Yeah, it's it's true. And at least she's, this scene shows her starting to, to, to attempt to make a change, right? Yeah. yeah or yeah. we don't want to have, this isn't a good place for a character, a light leap in her character. No, no, I'll, I will definitely everything. agree with that. The next we get a shot of uh, an exterior shot of a building. It's covered in like dishes and uh, panels that are very indicative of some kind of communications center. And we get an interior shot, which is funny because the room is empty. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Save for the holographic images of Mace Windu, Kiati Mundi, Yoda, and Ayla Sakura. And to that the, the door to that the two guards and flanking that door were actually yeah. 501st not not 332nd they were 501st on the inside or outside outside on the outside were they 501st yeah they were i never even picked up on the i kind of got the impression that that facility might have been like a like a portable thing that maybe like just kind of drop down like 
and then head back up to the Star Destroyer. But it totally makes sense, right? Because the 332nd is a, is described as being a company uh, sized right. element, right? Which is a uh, a smaller organization within the 501st. Right. Because right. that's what Anakin set out to do is split the 501st so to, that uh, promote Rex and he can lead the mission to Mandalore with Ahsoka that's as right. a, an advisor. Commander Rex. Yeah, that's right. That's right, Commander Rex. So this sequence is it's pretty cool and I took the time to flip back and forth between the episode and the film. So for the listeners, if you want to do the same, you're going to go to Star Wars Revenge of the Sith. You're going to go to 100 minutes on your uh, timestamp, and you can bounce back and forth, but it's the same conversation that played out throughout the movie. The movie is a little different because we have the image of Cody showing up saying, uh, reporting that General Kenobi has made contact with uh, General Grievous on Utapau. And so in the film, that's when Mace turns to Anakin and says, go to the Chancellor and report this so that we can maybe find some clues to his real intent. And then you can flip back to the animated series and you can watch it again, but it's from the perspective where Cody has left and Anakin has just been sent off to the Chancellor's office and then the doors open and in comes Rex and Ahsoka. The conversation that plays out uh, very much the same way it does in the film with Mace saying, I sense a plot to destroy the Jedi, etc., etc., etc. The council members talk about the removal of the Supreme Chancellor from office. But where the scene cuts in the film, we get an extension of that when Rex and Ahsoka enter the comm center reporting that she has Maul in custody. Yoda praises Ahsoka for her service to the Republic, and she responds by saying that she did her duty as a citizen. I did my duty as a citizen. Yoda questions, not as a Jedi? And Ahsoka's response is, No, not yet. Actually, I was hoping to speak to General Skywalker. Mace informs her that Anakin has gone to report to the Chancellor. And Ahsoka posits that means that the war could be over soon. Mace coyly replies, That depends on the Chancellor. And when Ahsoka asks, What do you mean? He kind of stonewalls her with this, uh, I'm sorry, citizen. These matters are for the Council to discuss. And Ahsoka, in her big moment, says, maybe she doesn't say it, but I mean, makes the choice not to say anything except, I understand. I understand. And with that, the the holographic images of Mace, Kiadi, Mundi, and Aayla Sakura wink out until only Yoda is left. Yoda beckons, more to say, have you? Mimicking the line from The Phantom Menace. Yeah, uh, a message for Skywalker, perhaps? But again, uh, Ahsoka declines, saying that she'll tell, uh, tell him herself when she sees him. Another moment that could have changed the outcome. Well, of the this is where I, I'm going to dig in on this in a second. Two moments. Yoda gives Ahsoka a perfunctory, may the force be with you, and after he fades out, Rex remarks, and he says it with this, like, there's, there's a bit of bewilderment there. He's like, you didn't tell them what Maul said about General Skywalker? And Ahsoka's like, no, I didn't. Home point here. <laughs> no, I didn't. No, I didn't. So I'm just going to read. I got a big bold thing I wrote, which is sort of my reflections on this, and then we can kind of talk about it sort of at large. But um, <laughs> And with that, Ahsoka's failure is complete. I was so pissed, pissed off rewatching this scene, especially knowing that Obi-Wan faced the very same situation with Count Dooku, which Ahsoka knows because he fucking told her. 
Fast forward, and it's easy to see why she declined in The Mandalorian to train Grogu. That's why it's so, no, I can't do it. You know, that when even the greatest, when you see what happens when they fall. Mm-hmm. So I, I get that. That adds way more weight to that scene in The Mandalorian. But She still doesn't trust herself. Well, can we just can we talk about pride here for a second? They say Mm. that pride comes before the fall. Right. So in her own sense of indignation about how she was treated by the council, she chose not to say anything and she fucked everybody over. I think Mace Windu shares some of that blame too, though. Of course he does. He's he He's got the same pride going. Absolutely he does. You don't want to be a Jedi. Oh my god, is he ever? I absolutely disagree about Ahsoka. Ahsoka was giving Anakin the benefit of the doubt to the last second. The fact that she wanted to speak to him before she spoke to anybody, including Yoda. I guess so. What was going on? She wanted to bring it to him first. Yeah, I guess. She wanted to go to the horse's mouth. And because she couldn't do that, even to the last second, you got something you want to say to Anakin? Yeah. She could have easily said, tell Anakin that I think he's Darth Vader. (laughs) Um, But she held it to herself because that's that's a thing between a father and a daughter and a brother and a sister. And with her and, previous and, and experience, from her perspective, regardless of what the council believes, regardless of the yeah the, the the balance of the force prophecy, right? Maul is lying to her in that moment to try to turn her to the dark. Well, side. they and definitely far, have that relationship. As far as Padawan training is considered, you yeah. resist that at all costs. So I give I while I I firmly believe her decision to not tell them in that moment loses the war for us. Yeah, but I don't blame her at all. You know, with her repeated displays of, you know, traits that she's picked up from both Anakin and Obi-Wan, I still think that there was an avenue for her. She doesn't have to say, you know, he's being lured to the dark side, but in my mind, she should have said something, anything, swallow your pride for for half a second and say, you know, Maul said this, and while I don't believe him, I can't not do anything about it. And I guess that's kind of where you say, Hank, like she does want to do something about it. But she wants to do it directly. And the central theme to all Star Wars is hope, right? We agree upon that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, hands down. So her hope in that moment is that she's going to interact with Anakin before the end. She still hopes that. And that's the thing that that maybe clouds her judgment there. Yeah. Like like (laughs) your, your faith in your friends is your weakness. Perhaps in that moment perhaps because hope has been destroyed yeah. in that moment by the emperor, perhaps that's where hope fails her. Yeah. Maybe in a bigger way, but at the same that's time, my girl, man, I don't blame her at all. <laughs> <laughs> at the same time though, her previous experience where somebody, you know, framed her up yeah, and they just jumped all over. Her. They did. So what's to stop her line of thinking of saying, you know, if I say, you know, Anakin's going to turn, what's to stop them from dropping that's everything. All. And that's- then, you know, just, finishing him off turning on him in a in a quite lethal way yeah right yeah that's a a great exclamation point on what i was thinking andy that's perfect actually let's talk a little bit reason to trust them i'm gonna i'm gonna come back uh, to mace windu for a second because like andy you say like he shares some of the burden in this and i agree with you in his uh you know derisively referring to her as a citizen but i want to put some context on that when i say that like you know your average citizen of the republic does not get dispatched on military operations as advisors to bring in a former Sith Lord. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like the context of the mission that she's on citizen or not, maybe you should listen to her. You know what I mean? There should have been a a debriefing more than, than just that. Yeah. Yeah. 
So it's like, good job. I don't care how you got here. You got them all. Good job. See you later. I think emotionally speaking from what we saw in the Mandalorian is that she does bear some, you know, at least from an emotional standpoint, she bears some responsibility for Anakin's fate. And I think that plays into her own fears about not wanting to drain Grogu. And so for, for that reason and for that reason alone, I really, really hope that whether it's in a future season of the Mandalorian or in her own series, I really hope that she gets a face-to-face with Luke Skywalker where she can get some closure from Luke who can tell her that he 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 redeemed, he came back. You are right to have that hope. Do you know what I mean? Like she needs yeah. she needs that closure and I hope that you know if, if we're going to do anything else with the Luke Skywalker character this is the big payoff that's going to do it for for Ahsoka, right? I hope that that's not at till the end of her character because that's pretty much the that's that's as far as she could go that that gives her all the closure she would need is like that that ends her book and so i want that for her but i want it to be like 10 years down the road give it to me at the very end yeah yeah totally i'm i'm down for that but i i think you know emotionally thematically she deserves that much she might be the best developed character in, in all of star wars in terms of in terms of her arc, in terms of where she still has to go, even though we know she needs to get there. Um, yeah. In terms of the, the slow and nuanced way that she got there, the fact that she she skirts that line between like Jedi and and, and something else. Something not else. Evil, yeah. Right? Yeah. And and I she's yeah. For me, she's one of uh, she's easily She's top five. If the show keeps going the way it's going and, and her show is, is what I think it'll be, I, she's really edging towards the top three of my favorite Star Wars characters of all time. Yeah, I would. Uh, oh, I don't even have a. After Obi-Wan, it all kind of blurs for me. No, it'd be Obi-Wan, then probably Luke. And then after that, it gets kind of blurry. So, but I would say she's top five for me. Yeah, yes. Top five for sure. This episode of Fandom Power is brought to you in part by CollectorsPlatoon.ca. CollectorsPlatoon.ca, organizers of the annual Toronto Collectors Platoon Toy Show. Check out CollectorsPlatoon.ca, the Canadian home of Ian's display accessories, specializing in action figure stands for figures of all scales. Visit CollectorsPlatoon.ca today. You're listening to Fandom Power. In our next uh, uh, shot, we have a full contingent of loyalists and uh, the 332nd on parade out in front of a uh, Republic shuttle. And from the building at the end of the platform, a door slides open and we see Bo-Katan flanked by Ursa Wren and an escort of other loyalists as they bring out Maul in this purpose-built cell that I think she describes it as a relic of a bygone era from uh, the the Jedi War 
the Mandalorian Jedi War. When they had to contain Super those crazy force wielders. Yeah, reason to uh when we had a reason to imprison you force wielding maniacs. <laughs> so I'm super interested in the technology. I don't often like want to get into the technology of Star Wars, like it's a fantasy more than sure. I'm super interested in the technology that can suppress force abilities. Ray shields. And is it so that you just can't use the force sheet outside the limits of that shield? Like I guess so. I, you know, like ostensibly it's magic. And so I am Star Wars magic. magic or magic. <laughs> <laughs> and so that box is really interesting. And it actually, I, I was writing a, a role-playing, just an adventure basically that where a couple of Mandalorian characters are in a race with a couple of new Jedi order characters to secure that item, which is oh, still cool. on that star destroyer crashed on that planet on the Venator. Uh, <laughs> that's really cool. Reasons. Yeah. 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 Cause it, clearly it's a benefit to both sides. Whoever gets it first. Ray shields have foiled Jedi before where, you know, when something is ray shielded, they can't, you know, they it's can't, true. they can't cut through it. And we don't see them overtly try to do anything force wieldy. That's crazy. That's right. That's true. We don't see, uh, Obi-Wan doesn't try to force choke Dooku when he's in those shackles. No, exactly. Um, Gideon has a version of those blue glowing shackles on Grogu. Yeah. We've seen it a few yeah. times. Maybe so that I'm is the curious about the tech because that that seems very you know it's like there's like computer circuits and lines yeah the totally he shackled and gagged and there's <laughs> yeah and the gag thing that that kind of got me i'm like is that just a is that a life support thing because you know because it's hermetically sealed or is that a you don't get to talk or both there is a moment there when uh they freeze on when he's on the ship proper and they freeze on him a bit and he's breathing and it's fogging the glass up oh that's true yeah and it's going and so he's there's a moment there when he closes his eyes and he just you can see him feeling the dark side. Maybe like it's like a thing. like a bite block or something that you're it's well, maybe or maybe, like maybe he can sp- I don't know like but there's a there's a scene where he breathes in and that's closes right his eyes yeah and yeah drink the dark side and all the fog disappears yep and it it doesn't come back from it like he's holding his breath oh interesting it's reaching out awesome. to see what's going on <laughs> yeah. maybe yeah yeah maybe so. The uh, it goes like this. Ahsoka's like, I thought your sister outlawed such devices. And Bo-Katan simply says, uh, She did. This is the last one. But is it? <laughs> Love the artwork on it too. Yeah, it's beautiful. The the Mandalorian style uh, Spartan image uh, helmet imagery on the the central portion of the door, and all of the sort of I don't know relief kind of carving of the thing. Yeah. It, it it looks metal, but it looks stone workish at the same time very reminiscent of a carbonite block yeah 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 but uh there's a moment where there's a transition and i don't know if it's in this scene but there's a transition from rex's helmet okay. to the central character on the oh yeah 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 that's right block, that's right yeah if you will yeah yep reminding us that rex is a mandalorian yeah really eh? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> As the cell is loaded onto the shuttle, the two warriors, Bo and Ahsoka, they face each other and they have their goodbyes with the uh, traditional, the warrior, the forearm clasp. And this is the line, as you said, Hank, the... Uh, Goodbye, Ahsoka Tano. The shuttle departs Mandalore and we get uh, we get a shot of the interior of the shuttle from Maul's perspective in his cell. Mm-hmm. At this point, I just it hit me that up until now... The only musical cues through this episode so far have been pieces of that same piece of haunting music from last episode. And it's almost been a constant drone in the background. Yeah, 
yeah yeah super eerie feeling and it's there's a lot of tension by this point of the episode so part of the tension is that we already know what's about to happen oh yeah that's the thing too that just it was literally i was tight in the chest i was nervous i I mean and i know what's happening i know what's going to happen and i still i'm like oh my god i i i use it myself akin to watching myself get a needle oh yeah 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 so you're, you know, it's all anticipation and it's going to be horrible. And then it's never as bad as it is. And it still sucks, but it's, if you look away, it's never as bad as if you look at it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And so it, for me, it's that I know this is going to hurt and I'm sitting here and I'm watching it anyway. So the piece of music, it's actually called Padme's Ruminations on the Revenge of the Sith soundtrack. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In Revenge of the Sith, if you go to uh, timestamp 109.07, you'll see it with uh, Padme sitting very pregnant in her apartment, looking out over the city at the Jedi Temple while Anakin is sitting in the uh, the council chambers. A lot of single notes on a piano, a minor key. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's the piece of music, Padme's Ruminations. It took me a while to figure that out because I had to go through the whole soundtrack because they, thematically, there's a, two or three other pieces of music like Anakin's Betrayal and some of the other ones like the Assault on the Temple have similar musical themes thematically they blend together that's right the shuttle lands back on the venator class star destroyer and uh, maul's uh, mandalorian cell is placed in the brig ahsoka and rex make their way up to uh, one of the bridges because venators have two of them and uh, the ship jumps into hyperspace Talk about the uh, tension in that uh, sequence for a second here. And I just want to, once again, if I haven't done this enough, not to gush at length, but I just want to give props where they're due. Uh, Dave Filoni, your writing is supreme. And uh, Saul Ruiz, uh, your directing here, particularly your choice of camera angles. I just felt so, oh, this is the part where I was like literally almost in tears watching it because you've got this sequence, you know, it plays really, really hard, I think, on uh, on the viewer's emotional connection to the clones. And if you've been watching the series faithfully up until now, you probably have a similar emotional connection like most of us do. But what this sequence does is something that we typically take for granted throughout the series is we see the clones going about their shipboard duties you know, just routine maintenance stuff like the the hangar guys are doing hangar stuff and the the escort, you know, to the they're just doing their jobs and they're completely oblivious of uh, what's about to happen. <laughs> and I think the the final uh, the final punctuation sort of comes from you know Ahsoka and Rex as they stride through the uh, onto the forward portion of the bridge as they walk up to the viewport and there's those pair of clone. Navy troopers and they fucking salute the two of them. And I'm like, right. oh, you know, it was like just, oh, that's so, it's so painful to watch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's the salute, and as they approach the window, Rex breaks the tension with his question, "Something on your mind?" And I'm glad that you know, like, if it had gone any longer without somebody saying or doing something, I'd have been like balling like a like a baby. <laughs> Oh, it's the the exact amount of tension again. Oh my uh, god, the Filoni Wars is the greatest thing ever created. (laughs) Yeah, oh, it really is. 
So in this in this sequence uh, here on the bridge in front of the viewport, uh, Rex and Ahsoka have this what I feel is a kind of a deep moment where she reflects on her existence as a Jedi, talking about she was never meant to be a soldier, and yet since becoming a Padawan, that's all she's ever known. Rex sort of answers back from his own existential crisis by saying, well, that's all he's ever known. I've known no other way. And it causes, you know, some mixed feelings. Oh, this is the part I was kind of curious about because he says it causes mixed feelings for some clones. Many people wish it never happened. Is he referring to people of the galaxy or people as in the clones are people? Because it works on both levels. Maybe. He might be, he might mean it on both levels there, but I think he he means that like in general, that sentiment that we had from before where they're not men. Yeah. Yeah. They're just tools. Um, But amongst themselves. They're droids. They're droids. Well, this is the thing, right? On on that one level, does it work in the sense that Rex is referring to the clones as people and he, he sees them that way. You know, it, it does work on that way. The existential crisis is the next line. Yeah, because he says, but uh, because without it, they wouldn't even exist. So I guess something good came of the war after all. Yeah, Ahsoka finding her own silver lining in the moment goes on. Then perhaps some good has come from all of it. Uh, and says that, well, the Republic couldn't ask for better soldiers, nor I a better friend. And um, see, this is a human moment. We we know that they're friends. We know that they have immense amount of respect for each other. But we Clone Wars is so fast-paced. And that's the thing about this episode is this episode crawls along. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's about to get very fast, but the first half of this episode is moving like just like a sand crawler through the desert. It's all tension, though. Right? And so that's what this is about. Yeah, it is. And then uh, the two of them, they salute each other. I'm like, oh, can you just stop with the, with, <laughs> stop trying to make me cry? Yeah. Oh. So at that point, um, the doors slide open from the rear of the uh, the bridge and another naval officer or naval uh, trooper comes in and he says he's got the latest briefing. Rex asks Ahsoka if she wants to come and check it out and she opts to uh, stay on the bridge instead. You go. I'm sure it's more good news. Cool little moment there. We get that. We've seen it many times in Star Wars before. The camera is behind the character. It's a full or near full body shot peering out the viewport, arms folded behind the back. We've seen Tarkin do it. We've seen other officers do it. Now here's Ahsoka doing it. Mm. Any thoughts on uh, what she's thinking at that moment? Because there's a that moment where she's just left to her own, staring into space. I think it's her moment to breathe and try and reach out too. Think so? I think so. Maybe. What does any captain think on the bridge of their ship when they're alone? Sometimes I go out on the balcony of the building I'm building. Because yeah. it just seems so much is so overwhelming in the scope of the project and millions of dollars at hand and all this pressure. And I just actually just need to stare at the sky for a second and attempt to think about nothing. Yeah. And maybe that's what it is. And, and, and in that moment, I think when you're trying to quiet your mind, which is a Jedi thing to do in that moment, yep. that could be why she connects so deeply with Anakin and that she's, she's reaching out through the force, yes. maybe even for Anakin specifically. Maybe she finds him. Well, interestingly enough, with that sort of in mind, our next kind of beats, things take a turn. We are back in the uh, brig, and there's a quick shot of Maul uh, in his cell. His eyes are closed. Maybe he's sleeping. Maybe. I don't know. 
But suddenly, the air is punctuated by the sound of an igniting lightsaber. Maul's eyes immediately open wide, and we can hear the exchange between Mace Windu, uh, Anakin, and Darth Sidious as it's unfolding in the Chancellor's office on Coruscant. Mace Windu can be heard saying, You must choose. And this is the line, the Anakin, No, I need him. And then from the Emperor, Unlimited! And this is different than the last crossover moment in the comm center where the voice cast, they recreated the whole conversation. This actually uses the actual lines from the film. So that's the, it's uh, Sam Jackson, Hayden Christensen, and Ian, Ian McDermott. McDermott, yeah. Which I thought was a real nice touch. No sense on having your voice cast redo it when you have the perfect audio track to pull from. I believe Ian McDermott does the voice of Palpatine and the Emperor in all of season seven. Does he really? I believe so. I'm going to have to check that. I'm not sure. I'm in. On the bridge, we see Ahsoka stagger, grasping at her head, and we can hear Hayden Christensen, What have I done? Still clutching her head, Ahsoka whispers, Anakin. And then the scene changes to Rex, standing uh, in front of a holographic image of Darth Sidious, as we hear Sidious utter the fateful words, Execute Order 66. And of course, Rex. Yes, Lord Sidious. The doors to the briefing room uh, whoosh open and Ahsoka rushes in to tell Rex. It's Anakin. I, I feel, feel like something, something terrible, terrible has happened. happened. Legacy line. <laughs> like Obi-Wan at the destruction of Alderaan. Well, yeah. mm-hmm. But Rex is clearly not himself as he stands there motionless, his helmet quivering in his hand for a moment before it drops to the deck. Rex? You can hear some radio chatter between the pair of 332nd clones that are standing behind Ahsoka. And they turn in the order. Yeah, they turn to draw down on her, but Rex stops him. No, I'll do it. Ahsoka asks Rex, what's happening? And struggling against his inhibitor chips programming, he's able to blurt out. Find him. Fives. Find him. Find fives. And then he opens fire. And the Um, tear. Yeah. The tear fights it. Dashing forward, Ahsoka knocks Rex into the hollow table, draws her lightsabers, and kills the two 332nd clones by deflecting their blaster fire back at them. How's that got to feel? Well, it's... Just that, just that moment, the first time you have to kill one of your own. Yeah. that got to feel? All the while still trying to reason with Rex, the rear doors of the briefing room open and more clones pour in, hell-bent on carrying out the order to kill the Jedi. Knowing that she's outgunned Ahsoka at this point, she starts deflecting all the incoming fire, which creates a hole in the deck above her that's so cool because she could have killed everyone in the room, including Rex. Yeah, potentially. That um, moment is awesome. I I love that moment because she's just she's taking all those blasts 360 degrees and she's just knocking them upwards. There's a you moment. Know, their escape route. Yeah. When the initial sort of of the door and the first two guys that are in the door start firing and she kind of gives them a force push out. <laughs> And then two guys we like roll in on either side of the door, and it's like, oh, oh, this is the never-ending, you know, supply of bad guys that you know the writers can just keep throwing and keep throwing. And so, could she have killed everybody, or would there have been this like? Because I took it as a ear outgunned, and you need to, you need space and time to think. Well, she certainly could have killed a lot of them in that scene. I think so. Could have been deflecting the blaster bolts back at them instead of towards an escape route. No, True I mean, enough. That's better. That's a better tactical maneuver, but um, you know she's making some spl- like 
you know, you're a Jedi. You got to make split timing decisions. You, you, you know, and this, yeah. this is the you've never faced anything like this. This is this is the people that you fought with that that you know their capability. You know how good they are at this. Yeah, this is what yeah, they were designed yeah. to do. They're these these are you. you know, yeah. this is an entire this is an entire population of people whose sole purpose is to kill. And all that stuff has got to go through your head, no, no matter how fast. I know the scene is like ten thirty seconds somewhere in there. But all that stuff has to occur to you that, like, this isn't just Rex and the guys on the ship. Nope. This is the entire army of the Grand Republic. Yeah. She's able to uh, force leap out the uh, the hole that she's created. And, and they're uh, left thinking that she's already been taken down. Yeah, exactly. They First they think, you know, we got her. Then the smoke clears and we see the hole and they're kind of left there standing looking through it. But um, not to make this about me, but as somebody who's been under fire... I found it really cool that she was able to maintain sort of the presence of mind that she did in that situation because I don't know if I would have like that level of intensity. It's no longer conscious thought. It's, it is drills and training and survival instinct. Of course, I'm not a, I'm not a Jedi either. So, I mean, I'm not trained to think when you flip back to that moment short. (laughs) Thank you. When you flip back to Revenge of the Sith, though, there are a few Jedi. It catches them completely off guard, and they're, well, they're all yeah, they're easily. all caught off guard. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it speaks to her levels. Oh yeah, very much so. So Rex dispatches a pair of clones to the brig with orders to kill Maul. Execute Maul. Yes, sir. At that time, he starts formulating a plan uh, to sweep through the ship for Ahsoka, and we're treated to a little bit of exposition on Order sixty six that never came up in the film. So not only is the order to kill the Jedi for treason against the Republic, but it also, as we learn, extends to any soldier that refuses to carry out the order. Any soldier that does not comply with the order will also be executed for treason. So, so it's weird. There's a choice there. To, is, is the decision to kill Maul tactical? Then and actually nothing to do with Order 66? He's not a Jedi. I wonder if just they just tactical decision. I wonder if they Rex just is still take thinking like a normal clone. Like that's a really maybe. wise maneuver. And he's a force user. Right. I mean, on its most simplistic of levels, he's another force user. Take him out. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. So let's talk about the uh, second half of that. Uh, the order that it applies to any soldier, because mm-hmm. that raises some questions for me. Do we think that that second line was always built in to order 66 or was it amended after fives? And if it was amended, how did you get that programming out there? Because the chips are biological. Here's how they got the programming out there. I agree with your first two statements. Absolutely, both of you. Here's how they got the program out there, because I just watched the episode where five dies. Yeah. Fives died. And at the very end, I can't remember the doctor's name, but she's from Camino, and she's with the, the chancellor, Maybe he's even the emperor proper at this oh, yeah. point. Oh, okay. They're discussing this thing. And and basically... Was it the, the doctor is, or was it Tonway? No, I think it's the doctor. Okay. I don't know if it's Tonway at all, but it it certainly could have been. But the upshot is that the um, they prepared oh, an inoculation against right. the parasite that they blamed this on. Right. They shared a water bottle. Tuppen Fives got a parasite, which caused their chips to degrade. And they prepared an inoculation for every single member of the Grand Army. That's and right. I approved it, and that's how they got the programming in. Okay. 
Oh, that makes sense. So then I, I really don't really have to go back in on this because for a second there, I was like, wait a minute, the chips are biological and have been there since birth. Uh, what the hell's going on? Firmware update. Yeah, really. Well, there's also a really good line that they they where it actually explains everything away from that fives episode where Shock T, Fives, and Palpatine are all in in the interrogation chamber. And they're having a conversation. And I think it's Ton Wee in that in that scene too. And Palpatine says to uh Shock T, a plot by the separatists that goes back before the war started to control the clones? That's highly unlikely. And then Shock yeah. T has to concede that you're right, that's highly unlikely. And then Ton Wee is like, more than highly unlikely, it's impossible. They're all snickering. That, that's where <laughs> they settled. That's that's the thing that settles it, that this yeah, isn't yeah. a plot to the jedi this is an errant parasite yeah this is completely yeah this is a medical thing right oh disappointed that i forgot that point still made for some good conversation (laughs) so thanks there's so many yeah back in the brig maul watches helplessly as his clone guards enter the room with the intent to kill him first time i've ever seen fear in his eyes yeah really they open the Mandalorian uh, Jedi cell, and then one of the guards notices Maul looking over his shoulder, like past him. Mm-hmm. The guard turns to uh, turns around, sees it's Ahsoka. He's able to mutter out a quick "Look out!" before he and his partner are forcibly <laughs> knocked out by Ahsoka. It's very reminiscent of the Grogu scene from Mandalorian. Oh yeah, ragdolling. Wham, wham. Standing in front of Maul with her lightsaber pointed, Ahsoka says, Don't, Don't make, make me, me regret, regret this. And then she frees him. Maul incredulously remarks, You've survived. She demands to know if Maul is responsible for what's going on, and he tells her outright that he has no idea. But then goes on to say, But surely you've felt it. The voice is crying out, The death. Ahsoka relates that the clones have turned against her, including Rex. And that's when it hits him. Yes. I mean, Maul in his, you know, that is he a madman or not kind of dips into his like, ha ha lunacy kind of. He laughs out loud and deduces Darth Sidious's plan to have the clones turn on the Jedi and goes so far as to actually calling him brilliant. 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 <laughs> yeah. For a brief moment, Ahsoka looks at him with disbelief, uh, and then she composes herself. Maul, thinking that Ahsoka has come to him for guidance and leadership, praises her for doing the right thing, only for her to tell him at lightsaber point that uh, you don't get it. I'm not here to team up with you. I need a diversion, and you're it. Now go cause some chaos. It's what you're good at. Mm -hmm. And as they leave the cell... Maul kind of beckons for a weapon, you know, care to give a guy a fighting chance? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's like, I'm not rooting for you. Now get going. And then they split up and go their own ways. So I guess if you want to blame Ahsoka for anything in this episode, she unleashes Darth Maul on the galaxy, consolidating all the crime families for a couple of decades. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that the plan for them to go into hiding, I mean, he must have had a long-term plan for that. I'm sure without a succession plan that they probably would have just gone back to their own their, res- their own respective territories and whatever they were doing. Right. Yeah, those alliances would have shattered probably. I think so. Shattered. 
There yeah, go. there you go. <laughs> the Crimson Dawn shattered. Well, not the Crimson Dawn, the uh, the Shadow Collective. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, clone patrols scurry about the ship, and a squad of 332nd uh, report to Rex. Maul has escaped, and there's no sign of Ahsoka. So Rex then orders that all the escape pods be destroyed and to increase the security presence on the hangar deck. He's still the best they have. Oh my god, yeah. Making her way into what amounts to a maintenance room, Ahsoka activates the three astromech droids that just happen to be there. But doesn't that scene give you the uh, reminiscence of Kenobi sneaking around the Death Star? Um... Yeah, you know, they even use a similar uh, angle where she kind of comes, you know, from Corner the right. And... Yeah, from the right side of the frame, she comes into frame and kind of looks three quarter at the camera and then moves off again. Yeah, very yeah. much so. Yeah, good call. Got a bit of a Phantom Menace vibe here in the room with the droids as the droids kind of wheedly beep boop and they all come online. Yeah, trying to quiet them down. So we've got R seven A seven. That's the red one. Who? Before my research piece, I did not put it together that that's her personal astromech from before she left the Jedi Order. Hmm, that's right. We have, uh, who else do we have? We have the cone-headed guy, RGG1, affectionately referred to as GG throughout the episode. And then we have CH33P, Cheap, who Cheap. is very much the same model as Chopper. Voiced by Dave I read, Filoni. I, th- I think I read an article a while back where they were toying with the idea. Of, of retconning him as game. Chopper? Yeah, but then they thought it might just just take a, a bit too much away. It didn't and for I me. Actually, don't the droids all die? Not in this episode. No? Not I'm in sorry. this episode. They all, <laughs> they all survive. They all survive this episode. <laughs> okay. <laughs> for we'll me, for, first time viewing it, so keep in mind, right, uh, season seven of Clone Wars comes out in 2020. By now, Rebels is over, and I'm a huge Rebels fan. Love huge. the Rebel, the Ghost cast. In my mind, I'm like, hey, it's Chopper before he got broken and rebuilt. When I found out that it wasn't, I was disappointed. Hmm. You know, I, I love the idea that, oh, Chopper's been around since the Clone Wars, which he probably has been. No, certainly. Like, these robots last for hundreds of years, ostensibly, right? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Well, your other connection there is if Chopper was voiced by Dave Filoni, so was Cheap. He is. Yeah, he totally is. Yeah. I think the intention was to make it Chopper, and then something about that didn't work out for them. Maybe. So the droids, uh, they immediately bleep and blurp a barrage of questions towards Ahsoka, and uh, she just reacts like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know why the clones are acting the way they are. But she says that we might be able to do something about it. Interesting that the Republic droids weren't programmed with an order 66 of their own maybe droids just weren't deemed a uh a credible like a security risk mm-hmm. which is funny too because it's consistent with what we know about uh astromech droids and how their you know legends really played on it and even the films and the other canonical references to them they actually talk about and droids in general that if you don't regularly wipe their minds they develop a personality yeah, there's a line, I think, uh, from Rise of Skywalker, it's, uh, Leia's line, uh, always trust a droid or something, something along those lines. Yeah, always. Tr- I think Ray said that, always trust a droid. Right, but it's, she's referencing Leia's line. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So no surprise, uh, R7 has uh, developed some loyalties 
to Ahsoka despite her no longer being a, a member of the Grand Army of the Republic. That's right. So she instructs R7 to patch into the ship's central computer, searching for any files related to Clone Trooper 5s. R7 locates and plays a hollow from uh, the Kaminoan. I think it's the same doctor, Hank. Uh, yes. Detailing that the Republic Senate Committee accepted the finding that 5s experienced a malfunction in his inhibitor chip, a chip that was placed in all the clones purportedly in place to reduce independence and aggression. She then continues that a grievance report was filed by Rex. A grievance report was filed by CT7567. R7 tells Ahsoka, that report is sealed. And Ahsoka says, well, maybe we can get into it using Anakin's passcode. 8108. Yes. So we get into that report and we see a hollow of Rex and he talks about his suspicion that the inhibitor chips may have a larger purpose, uh, one that they don't fully understand, even though the report is likely to fall on deaf ears. And that's something that we never got in that little four arc, the arc from season six was that, that you're sort of left with Rex, you know, well, he's holding fives after he died. The episode that's right, yeah. he's holding him, but you don't get the, you don't get the sense from that episode that he believed him. Yeah. And, and this report is, is proof that Rex knew what was about to happen yeah. or like that. Well, that didn't know that knew something greater was at, at, at stake here, but didn't know exactly what, well, but that, that Rex believed fives in that moment. And that's what that reports about. And that's, that's why he fights his programming. Yeah. He's fighting for fives in that moment. That's why he call it. That's why he invokes his name. Find five. Find fives. Yeah. Find him. He, that's that's his link to not no, no, to to overcoming the. He still has all those memories. Yeah. Ostensibly, just an a, a, an order, although you're compelled to obey it, can't eclipse all the memories you have. No, and, no, and those experiences. I mean, they're right? they're there. So whatever that's got to be a powerful thing embedded in them anyway to just turn your average clone against you know but for someone who's evolved who's who's been allowed to evolve because certainly certain clones wouldn't have been allowed well to, this is it like anakin's a different kind of leader a different kind of jedi right he you know you're going to become a different kind of clone captain under under anakin's you know the, you're gonna have to get used to his crazy madness and his nuances and his the droid his flair, analogy his creativity right the droid right, analogy exactly. of being able to wipe their minds doesn't apply to a biological creature. It's certainly right. not without returning to Camino for some kind of surgical intervention, right? So what separates the front line, uh, the rank and file clone from guys like Rex and Wolf and Fives and all those guys who have these like crazy development arcs? I think it might be your, your proximity to the main characters. And I Maybe. don't mean that in terms of for story purposes certainly we've seen clones that were completely innocuous have big you know poignant arcs like the the one that comes to mind i can't remember the character's name but the the clone that defects when rex is wounded yeah on that planet and he goes and he the, the, he's got twilight kids oh right yes i know right. i remember the one you're talking about yeah right right and so and then they, they have a, a great, you know, and that's pro probably where some of Rex's introspection from this episode comes from. There's something more yeah. to being yeah, yeah. alive than just being a soldier. Like the life is a gift part that 
yeah so it's something come to come to terms with it's it's deep man it's it really, really is does a genetically created biological organism have a metachlorian count maybe well that just came to me in the moment by the way i, I didn't I, actually <laughs> write that it certainly <laughs> it certainly does if it certainly does if it's just a clone ray has a midichlorian count she's a child of a clone uh, she oh. sure does and the body she's of a child uh, of a clone. She's not a clone. Oh, you're right. You're right. Maybe it skips a generation because her father was useless to Palpatine. Uh, oh, I was going to say Finn, but he's not a clone either. He's a, he's just a, he's a conscript. He's just a kid. Yeah, he's a conscript. But yeah. Palpatine's new body would be a clone body. Yes, that is but true. He, but it couldn't contain his abilities. That's just why it, it decayed. Yeah. Interesting. So they couldn't pump enough metachlorians into him. Hmm. Nothing like touching on one of the most divisive subjects in all of Star Wars. <laughs> For me, it creates the possibility of one of the best villains you could have in that, and that's a, essentially a, a, a Sith vampire or a, a yeah, really vampire that runs around the galaxy, draining the blood Drain, of force, draining midichlorians, literally getting infusions to give himself midichlorians. Oh, that's what a creepy villain! That's amazing. Well, there's some fan fiction there for you. I got it. I'm By the way, it's it's. W E S when you're putting my name in the credits as a <laughs> hell yeah hell yeah okay there's no T on that no there isn't <laughs> <laughs> meanwhile Maul despite being unarmed is presently making short work of a clone patrol that he's encountered using the force to rend some deck plating he uses it to decapitate oh. a pair of clones and then crushes oh. another. The patrol calls for backup, saying that Maul is moving towards the hangar. The clones, now falling back, try to seal a blast door, but one of the soldiers gets his arm caught and it is amputated. Ugh. As Maul kneels down, we hear the comm link on the severed arm go off and a clone voice says, Close the blast doors. We want to control his approach. He's strolling through that. Too. Yeah. Yeah. He's like not, He's, he's not, not even breaking a sweat. He is so the the dark side is peaking right now and he is so powerful right now. For a guy who just oh. said care to give a guy a fighting chance, like did you oh. really need it? <laughs> you know. At the same time I kind of like to see Maul fight with a blue lightsaber. Well, that would be cool too. It would be cool. So, with her plan in motion, Ahsoka prepositions R7 and GG in a hallway junction. The droids see Rex and a group of clones approach. And as they pass, R7 trundles out into the hallway, bumping into Rex, causing him to stop. Rex, now separated from his troops, triggers the second droid, Cheap, uh, who rolls out using his scomp link to close all the doors in the junction, cutting off Rex from his uh, troops. R7 then plays a pre-recorded hollow message from Ahsoka, where she tells him that she saw his report on Fives and that what is happening isn't his fault. I saw your report on Fives. Their minds were programmed, and she can help them. Drawing his pistols on R7, uh, he demands, where is she? And you can hear the whoosh in the background. Mm -hmm. And from behind, you can hear Ahsoka say, right here. I'm right here. Rex turns to engage Ahsoka, only to be stunned unconscious by R7 and his little electro stun probe or whatever it is. Ahsoka and the droids with Rex laying across the top of their domes. They uh, depart the junction as the clones are trying to break their way in, which they do, but not before they can close another set of blast doors to make their escape and head off towards the medical bay. Okay, let's get him to the medical bay. Arriving at the medical bay, they place Rex on like a, 
I guess it's like a surgical table. And they begin to scan him in search of his inhibitor chip. Yes. There's an uh, At this point, we see that there's an FX medical droid there assisting with the scan, mm-hmm. which we've seen before. Uh, first in uh, Empire Strikes Back was the droid, I think, was uh, kind of tending to the, uh, the back of the tank when Luke was immersed. That's right. It's the one that looks like a giant patio heater. <laughs> the one that had like the action figure had like eight arms. Oh yeah, broke yeah, yeah. Every single one of them it was a lamp Just post. Yeah. The, the lamp post droid with the little head that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> telescoping head. Might as well have been just a prop, but they made an action figure of it. It's great. Everyone gets an action figure. Yeah, man. Meanwhile, the same group of clones on the chase attempt to open the door while Gigi tries to hold them off. The medical scans prove unsuccessful, and Ahsoka, trying a different approach, takes Rex's head gently in her hands, and she begins to chant the same mantra that we see Chirrut Imwe use in Rogue One. I am one with the Force, and the Force is with me. I remember in one of our other episodes, it might have been a broader episode, you were you were asking what you thought that might be. Yeah. Do you remember that conversation? Um, I think I figured it out. I do remember that conversation. I'd love to hear your yeah. thoughts on it. Well, I think I figured it out. I think... In that moment, it's a version of the Jedi mind trick. And that, that Rex isn't actually saying those words, but that she's Vulcan mind melding with him, if you will. That he's saying her words, that, that yeah. that's actually her taking control of his brain. I think so too. Using the force. And once when, when she's sort of entered his consciousness, whatever Kylo yep. Ren does to Ray in that moment, whatever Obi-Wan does to Luke in that moment, after yep. the sand people have knocked him out, she connects with him on that level. And that's what brings the, the location of the uh, inhibitor chip to light. And it's it's just her ability to explore her own mind and the force. And she's just literally put herself inside Rex. They've they've connected. I think so, too. Intimately. There's definitely a link there, like you say, using the, the Vulcan mind meld analogy. Mm-hmm. I kind of thought maybe there was something else to it that the the chant, the chant is sort of the helps with the the connective piece like when you're making a phone call and you you know going back let's you know early early uh sitcom land where you know andy of mayberry would pick up the phone and he'd say you know clara can you connect me to such and such and she'd physically plug in to somewhere else right and i I feel like her you know i'm one with the force and the force is with me is her plugging in but I had a different, a slightly different take, or maybe I guess we can call it an an addition to, because I agree with what you're saying. But I wondered, like, with that whole idea of the malfunctioning chip, you know, the the chips are they're buried in there. So I kind of thought she was actually altering his biology to make it detectable. Oh, possibly, maybe. I mean, it, it, in the end, it comes out to the effect is the same thing. It's the the hows and the whys and the whats, but. I just thought maybe, you know, that the Owens had taken such steps to conceal the chip that the only way to find it was to change the biology ever so slightly to allow the scanner to pick it up, you know? Hmm. Makes sense. Uh, well, for me, it's it's about the Force abilities we've seen Jedi wield before. And I've certainly seen Jedi many times manipulate the mind of another being. Right. But I've never seen them alter the biology of another being. Except in, so to me, I felt that maybe this was an extension of the force healing that we've seen used. That is altering the biology of another being. Yeah. You know, with Ray and the the snake and 
Grogu and yeah, is oh, yeah. that we're, we're in the similar? It, yeah, in between there somewhere. I think yeah, you're right. somewhere, yeah. somewhere in there is some kind of like, oh yeah, there's plausibility there. Because mm. if she's employing force healing, maybe it's just manipulating the brain to reject this foreign yeah, material, like, trigger an antibody or an immune response, so yeah. that we can at least see the area that we're looking for. And then with that triggering it, then the scanner can pick it. Sure, up. sure. For, for me, I felt she's inside his mind. The scanner's not sensitive enough to pick this up, but the force caused it to ping. Like she like sent like a, a sonar wave of force out. Like a, yeah. it, as it washed over his physical brain, it pinged off the thing, which lit it up on the sensor. Maybe it's somewhere in there. We're correct. <laughs> so I'm going to, I'm going to throw a third one in there just to go back All to right. our last one. She uh, got the midichlorians to light up because those are detectable. Yeah. That's possible too. Tweet All right. Let's go. I want yep. an answer. Ahsoka orders R7 to remove the chip and stands ready to defend the room as Gigi can no longer hold off the advancing clones with its uh, scomp link. With lightsabers in hand, she deflects the initial barrage of blaster fire and force pushes two clones down the hallway. Two more clones enter the room at the same time. Rex is beginning to come to on the table. Struck by blaster fire in the shoulder, Ahsoka drops one of her lightsabers and is forced back against the foot of Rex's bed. She calls desperately to Gigi to close the door when a hail of blaster fire erupts from behind her and drops the encroaching clones and the door snaps shut. The camera spins and it's Rex sitting up, both pistols in hand, and he's okay. As the episode winds down, Rex apologizes for trying to kill her. And Ahsoka, yeah, Ahsoka says, how widespread is this? And he bluntly tells her, with some kind of, you know, almost a bit of fear there, it's all of us. The Grand Army of the Republic has been ordered to hunt down and destroy the Jedi Knights. And in our closing shot, we see R7 and GG as they roll back away from the door and cutting torches are starting to burn their way around the door jam. Fade to black. <sighs> There's a lot going on in that episode. Yep. So much emotion, so much tension, so much heartbreak. The Republic shatters. Yeah. I don't even know Man. what to say at the end of this one. We, we actually did a really good job. I, I thought there would be like a lot more unpacking of the emotion, but we kind of hit it as it was happening. I think so. Um, you're left with, uh, you're left with exactly what they need you to be left with there. If you're a fan is, and that's, this is the moment that hope is almost extinguished from the galaxy. And as good yeah. as the prequels were, and as good as reading the novels was, it's, it doesn't, this is the moment that we needed. It, it makes it so heavy. And, since we were little kids, like all three of us, we've known that the moment that Darth Vader falls, that that moment has to be so tragic. For whatever reason, it didn't come off as, you know, it, it was an event. We watched an event happen, Revenge of the Sith, but this, these moments make it just that so much more tragic. impactful. I remember, um, I remember going to see Revenge of the Sith in the theater, I I had actually bought on, I was like really fully on the hype train. Mm. The two-part comic book adaptation dropped a week or two weeks before the movie. I okay. I devoured it, 
which just served to increase my want to see this movie. And then I go into it because at the time my kids were, were young, but my kids were of the, or my oldest son was of the generation that the prequel trilogy is his Star Wars. And naturally his favorite character, Anakin Skywalker. Yes. And I had to tell my, his mother, he's not going to like this movie. She's like, what do you mean? I'm like, this is the movie where he turns and there's some pretty implicit imagery that suggests that he kills a bunch of children. And so, you know, if you were of that, and I shouldn't even say that. I don't even want, I don't want to sound ageist. Again, I don't want to sound ageist. That's come up twice now in the last couple of weeks. But if you grew up on the prequels and the prequels is your Star Wars, this episode is the reason to want to watch that what is it, a three-hour, four-hour cut mm-hmm. of the film with these episodes spliced in? Did you guys find that? I went through all of the instructions on how to get it. I have not pulled the trigger on it, but I see. this episode really is the one for me where it's like, yep, I want it. I want to see it. I'm going to devote the time to go through it because there's just so much more context. Mm-hmm. Even in the little bit, of research that I did sitting here in the studio, flipping back and forth from the film to the series to see the, the same sequence from those different perspectives added so much more for me. When I first heard they were going to overlap, like there was the rumor that we were yeah. going to catch up and then, then go shoot past. Um, yep. I got really excited. Certainly I always wondered why uh, I, I I shouldn't say always wondered because it's retroactive wondering, but as soon as I was introduced to the characters of Ahsoka and Rex, I had to know where they were during that, that, you know, cause they're, yeah. they're, they're completely absent from the films. Uh, Rex isn't completely absent from the films, but he's certainly not there in that moment. Ahsoka's not there in that moment. Even Obi-Wan's not there in that moment. He, he catches up to him before anybody else, but yeah, if they had managed to pull this level of emotion off in that movie, I, I don't know. He might've won an Academy award, but it's perfect. It's, it's so perfect. It's that it needed to be made personal and human. And uh, the love story wasn't doing it. I know it's important to the character, but it just wasn't doing it. And this, this does it. It really does it. Yeah. I really, uh, really empathized, you know, for me, this episode Rex was my, uh, you know, was the, the character for me in this one where I just, I empathize with him so much, you know, where he was the, uh, we don't really see any struggle. So he's visually speaking, he's the antithesis of, of Cody in this episode where Cody is just like, yep, programming's on bitches. And just, you know, you've seen the memes about, you know, of Obi-Wan old Ben Kenobi running into a stormtrooper, and the stormtrooper says, uh, general kenobi and and obi-wan's like cody and he's like yeah i missed you and he's like i missed you too he's like no no back in the war i missed you by not hitting you when i shot you know so even guys like cody who arguably you know had some development were still just cogs in the machine and so So, not at the point moment for me in revenge of the sith is the just just before already 66 is announced Cody hands back his lightsaber. Oh, I know. It's a whole different fight if, if Obi-Wan doesn't, doesn't have, have a lightsaber. lightsaber. He confronts Anakin on Mustafar. You almost get that sense of like he, he does it and has that like, he has that moment where he's like, oh, <laughs> what did I just, I just, oh. 
I had it, and then, oh. <laughs> One of the other things the episode did for me was uh, gave me a moment to give thought towards, you know, our next real uh, uh, visit with Rex later on in Rebels when we meet him with Gregor and the other clone whose name I can't remember, who's slightly... Wolf. Is it Wolf? Is it Wolf, Wolf and Gregor. This episode had me wondering what happened to them. How did they escape? How did they make it through? Did they did they carry it? Ahsoka novel. I can't. I'd have to reread the Ahsoka novel to see if they touched on those two characters. Ostensibly, Rex runs around and and rescues any clones he can, but I don't really? think there's a lot that he can. Um, There'd be no time to get no it time. get to anybody. So no. conceivably, these guys carried out their orders and then chose to live the rest of their life in you know relative isolation you know i mean there's some there's some regret and remorse there i think is implied later on in rebels you really get to see too in rebels uh the kanan's dislike for rex uh, oh yeah just, when you remove the humanity from everything yeah uh, you know you would mistrust a clone like like a mandalorian would mistrust a droid <laughs> i mean arguably right? caleb dune is younger mm-hmm. is younger than Ahsoka. Yes. Yeah. A hundred percent. He a hundred percent at the at during Order sixty six. Yeah. Even even younger is Cal Castus. Good lord! It just hit me now. Kanan Jarrus's real name is Caleb Dune. Were they setting him up to be related to Cara Dune? Doom. 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 Okay, Doom. I take it all back. We can edit that out in post. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> Don't cancel me. Wow, guys. Um, yeah, man. Lots to take in. Anything else you want to uh, hit on before we uh, call it an afternoon? No, I, it, it's uh, it's funny even watching it 10 times or more or however many times I've watched it and even watching it like a year ago and having it you know, coalesce in my brain and in, insert itself into the rest of the canon. Watching the episode as it ends, it's I just feel empty. Uh, and I'm, I'm really inside those two characters. Yeah. Um, and I could feel their pain and their emptiness, and uh, yeah, it's like it's it's Star Wars, guys. <laughs> I was it makes me. I was physically tired at the end of my uh, of of my uh, writing my show notes last night or yesterday. Yeah, not because it took me you know the effort of writing the notes, but the mm-hmm. emotional weight of what I was experiencing and how I was processing it. I was physically tired when I went home. Hell yeah. And I think we're going to get a little bit more of that next week as we uh, wrap it up with our fourth and final installment of Warrior yeah, 66. Yeah. Well, guys, that's just about it for me this week. I would invite everybody to go back. If you're just coming to the series now, go back, have a listen to our uh, our back catalog. Of course, we have our uh, eight-part Fandalore. Well, it's technically nine-part if you uh, add in the uh, season one retrospective. But... Uh, we have retrospectives on uh, season one of the Mandalorian. We have an eight part review series of season two. We really love doing that, which was the inspiration for this show. There's more star Wars to come though. Next week. Heck yeah. As we uh, dig in, and it's not all star Wars guys. We do other things too. That's right. There's uh, some Marvel stuff in the, uh, in the pipes coming and uh, that's not the only thing in the pipes. That's right. That's right. A little bit of Get your uh, big foot on. Yes, yes. So that's uh, uh, in other news. Uh, Andy, when's that going to be ready to go? The uh, first episode. Of... First episode. I'm hoping will be out this week. Okay, so our oh, new show, 
Off the Path of Normal are uh, it's uh, led by Andy and uh, Kim uh, is our sort of paranormal weird alien. If it's you know aliens, cryptids, ghosts, yeah, yeah, it's weird, it's one of those. Yeah, dive in on it. So that's starting soon. We've got lots of show ideas for uh, for fandom power. We actually may shift gears here. I know I've been talking sort of about the Back to the Future episode on the prop slash uh, sets episode, but uh, we may have come upon some inspiration, and we may be going and taking a, a visit to the planet of Eternia sooner than we mm-hmm. thought. Anyway, guys, I hope you uh, stick around and check out all of our back catalog and our future catalog if you like what we're doing. Like and subscribe. Share it with your friends. Don't forget to you can reach out and uh, talk to us in any number of our social media platforms or at our email address. What it's do the kids there. say these days? Smash that like button. Smash that like button. Smash it. All right, guys, that's it for me. Join us next week as we take a look at Season 7, Episode 12, Victory and Death. Until then, guys, my name is Wes. May the Force be with you. And do it. Do it. Do it. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to Fandom Power. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Stay tuned for our next episode where we'll be talking about another one of your favorite fandoms. Fandom Power is a Sawcast production. Have you ever wanted to start a podcast, but you didn't know where to begin? Maybe you'd like to try podcasting without having to invest in any recording equipment. Do you have an idea for a show, but you're not sure how to develop it? Let Sawcast Productions take care of all of that, so you can focus on what it is you want to say. Sawcast Productions offers podcasting solutions ranging from recording and basic editing, to fully produced episodes complete with all the audio embellishments of a broadcast quality show. When your show is ready... Sawcast Productions can distribute it too. Contact us online today. So, what do you want to say? <laughs>